Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am already excited about the show, seeing how Scott Hubbard is already in studio with me, and I can hardly wait to discuss an article that he has written that's up on DesiringGod.org. And let me tell you, this is a catchy title. It's called The Beast I Become, How to Bring Bitterness to God. That's a head-scratcher, and he, <laughs> that's going to require some explaining, as you know. Scott Hubbard is getting to be quite the regular guest on my show, and I love it. He is an editor for Desiring God. He's a pastor at All People's Church and a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary. Lives here with his wife and two perfect sons in Minneapolis. (laughs) Scott, welcome back. Good to be with you, Bill. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, catchy title, The Beast I Become. And then it's it's the subtitle that has got all my attention. Okay. How to Bring Bitterness to God. That's what I want some explaining on. How, on the subtitle, you want yes, to explain it. I want both. I want okay. both. We yeah. have time for yeah. both. Well, I can go ahead and agree with you that it's a catchy title just because I didn't come up with it. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> My coworker, Marshall, who comes up with so many titles, uh, he did that. But bitterness, that really comes from the main psalm that this article is focusing on, Psalm 73. The word bitter, I don't think, is in the psalm, but you could put Uh, several different words on what the psalmist Asaph is going through. Cynicism, bitterness, disillusionment, and bitterness is the one that I think uh, captures it most clearly to me. So we could go through what's going on in the psalm that captured, why why is he feeling so bitter? That's not often a a word you would uh, put on a psalmist. Mm -hmm. Psalmists don't often seem bitter. Scott, let's start by asking the question, do you think anyone who's listening right now is feeling any of those thoughts and emotions you just shared? (laughs) Yes. Okay. And I laugh only because the experience is so common. It is. And we're going to see why. And uh, there's nobody, I don't think, who hasn't gone through some level of disillusionment in the Christian life. You know, the Proverbs speak about how hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's another uh, verse to put over this experience that Asaph was feeling in Psalm 73. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You have a hope for something. Might be something big, might be something small, and that hope is deferred. You think it's coming. It maybe even seems like it's almost in your hands. And then at the last moment, it gets taken away from you what you hope to be doesn't end up being, it's deferred. And scripture is so realistic in saying, what's the result of that? Your heart is sick. (laughs) That's the human experience of Mm -hmm. cynicism, bitterness, disillusionment. So absolutely, we're dealing with this regularly. Mm -hmm. I love the way your article starts. And it says, sometimes as you watch the hand of God's providence draw some picture in your life, the pencil suddenly turns. And what you thought would be a flower turns into a thorn. Yeah. I think that's a very, very common experience. Yeah, these are some of the most disconcerting or uncomfortable situations in the Christian life when it's something that you've hoped in, maybe something that you've been praying for even for a long time, and it seems like 
circumstances are coming by God's providence that this is coming to pass. Like God is answering this prayer, mm-hmm. this hope that I've just longed for for so long that it's it's beginning to happen. And then it doesn't. It seems like it would be far easier just to remain in that place where you're you're still hoping, you're still praying, you're still longing, but it's not, you know, it, it feels like it's dangled before you and then snatched away. That's not the reality because we know God isn't like that, mm-hmm. but that's what it can seem like. You see God as if he's drawing some beautiful picture in your life with his providence, and then at the last moment, what seems to be a flower turns into a thorn and mm-hmm. you get pricked instead of reaching out for a daisy. Mm-hmm. And I can remember as a young Christian, I mean, now too, but especially as a young Christian, just being so thrown off by experiences like this, thinking, what is this about? Before I had really grappled with the reality that this is, this appears in scripture. This is something God's people have always gone through, but it can feel so, um, you can just feel shaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Hubbard is my guest and we're um, talking a lot in part about uh, Psalm 73 today. But I also, he gives a great illustration in his article, which is over at DesiringGod.org. I highly recommend you head over there and check it out. The article is called The Beast I Become. And talk about C.S. Lewis's marriage to Joy Davidman. I think that's a great illustration. Yeah, it always has struck me in this regard. So a lot of people familiar with C.S. Lewis um, perhaps don't know that he was married for a brief time to a woman named Joy Davidman later in life. And it had seemed when they were approaching marriage like she was dying. So they were looking at this thing full in the face that she's dying of cancer. They get married anyway. And it seems for a, for a time like God heals her. Then there's they a, prayed. There's a prayer for healing. Uh, in particular, uh, uh, I believe an Anglican priest doing a special prayer for healing over mm-hmm. her, perhaps anointing with oil. And it, and there really is a turn. It seems like, oh, wow, God answered this prayer. She's doing great. But it was only for a time, a short time. And then soon the cancer returned stronger than ever, and she died quickly. <laughs> and that has just lingered with me since years ago that I read about it. Because, again, it just seems like, man, it seems like it would have been far easier to cope with, easier to handle if the original cancer had just taken her. I mean, that's what they were expecting, mm-hmm. even though they were longing for the opposite. But then to have her be healed for a moment, a short time, and then die, that 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 feels like the most painful part. And so those who have read Lewis's A Grief Observed know the kind of bitterness that he experienced and the kind of disorientation that he went through as a result. And it's it's very common that there are people whose sh- whose faith is completely shaken by this. Yeah. And for some, they've lost their faith. That's right. The This can be a defining moment mm-hmm. for people. Either some people can can totally walk away from Jesus because of this, you know, they they their whole world about who God is and what he's like and what we can expect from him is is feels torn down and they don't know what's real anymore and they end up walking away from Jesus. Other people uh, stay but you can just tell that they live in a different kind of world. I call it just a darker world. It's like they've they've gone through a great transition and they live in a place of disillusionment now. They're, they're perhaps used to have a kind of buoyant childlike faith, a joy about them, but now they're, they're just more jaded, more jagged, more cynical, uh, not as hopeful, not as joyful. And they can live there for many years or even for 
your whole life. And then there are some people like Asaph in the psalm who go into that place and live there for a time and then by God's grace come back. I think one of the problems is you can't do a cost-benefit analysis when it comes to God. That's right. You can't say, well, this set of circumstances kind of outweighs what I was hoping would happen, so therefore I can't do God anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's not, um, there's no contract papers when we (laughs) decide to follow Jesus. And yet there can be this, uh, and often this, doesn't even come to the forefront of our minds. We don't even know we're thinking this way until something like this happens, where mm-hmm. something crashes down around us, and we realize uh, we we have had this expectation that if we live a certain way, if we do a certain thing, then God will respond in this way. And when He doesn't, that's when we can feel so shaken. And this is not a matter of if; it's always a matter of when. That's right, because it's going to be for all of us. That's right. Yeah. I, I take uh, hope and courage from. The Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians when he, the great apostle, talks about his ministry and says, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Mm -hmm. Think of Paul being bewildered by his circumstances and by the things that happened in his ministry. We are perplexed. We don't know what God is doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like Paul, Paul, Paul wrote that. We are perplexed. So yes, if it happened to Paul, if it happened to Asaph... My goodness, we could talk about Jesus if it Mm -hmm. happened to our Lord who was so pressed and stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was asking for a way out. Then it'll happen to us. Yeah. Scott, that doesn't sit well in the logic portion of our brain, though. (laughs) Go on. What do you mean? Well, when things, we we have a a general idea as to how we'd like to see life proceed. And then when there are massive interruptions, we go, well, this is not what I had planned. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It this sort of thing calls us to live in a really deep tension. Mm, say I more think, about that. Now well, it's your turn. What's that? Now it's My your turn. turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is one of the most memorized verses of the Bible is Proverbs three five, right? Mm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And one of the uh, we we can just forget or not realize what is what does that actually feel like to actually live that verse out. Well, one of the things it feels like is to have all of your understanding, all of your logic about what life should look like, about what God should do for you to go one way and for reality to go the other way. And in that moment, the call is not to lean on your own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all your heart, which assumes that more important than answers for why we are in the place that we are is the presence of God. Mm Mm-hmm. And relationship with him rather than our ability to figure it out. Mm-hmm. All right, Scott, a couple of minutes before we go to break. Let's talk a little bit about Asaph. Yeah. So Psalm 73, some people will be familiar with this probably because um, some of the verses toward the end are really iconic and famous. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Just so you know, he was not looking at notes when he said that. <laughs> Those verses that's, are precious. They're that's a memorized for, verse. For good in, reason. In Scott Hubbard's brain. And the first half of the psalm, though, it's a really, it, uh, for those who only know those verses, reading the psalm can be surprising because most of the psalm, the first half at least, is um, an exercise in Asaph futilely trying to figure out his circumstances and being unable to do so. 
The situation is that he has been a godly man for years on end, and yet he finds himself in a spot where the ungodly all around him are flourishing, and he is languishing. Yeah. And he's looking around at these people who are just scoffers of God and who seem like they don't have any suffering in their life. All their hopes are fulfilled. Their kids grow up and are happy and safe. And he looks at his own life, his own health, and he just sees suffering and affliction. And yet he's the one who loves the Lord, not them. Mm -hmm. And he's looking around at this and trying to grapple with God's promises and saying, and at one point he looks out at everything that he has done, all of his faithfulness, all of what he's done for God, and he says, it's all been in vain. Wow. So that's a picture of bitterness. Mm -hmm. And he's going to come to the point later on when God has reoriented him where he looks back at himself and he says, I was like a beast towards you. So there's the title, The Beast I Become. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. And then when we come back from the break, I want to talk about uh, the way our hopes are deferred. Okay. And... Uh, we're talking to Scott Hubbard. He is an editor and writer over at Desiring God. You can go to desiringgod.org. And the article that he uh, has written is called The Beast I Become, How to Bring Bitterness to God. Very catchy title. But he's doing a spectacular job of breaking it down and helping us understand it. A lot of it is based on Psalm 73, which is a psalm I love, Scott loves, because he was just reciting it for memory, which is great. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back in just a minute. a guest I like because I usually play banjo music for the guests that I like. <laughs> Scott's a, a writer and he's written over at DesiringGod.org. He's also an editor there. You can always go check out at DesiringGod.org. article we're talking about today is called The Beast I Become, How to Bring Bitterness to God. He does a great job of explaining this. And if you missed any of this, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com, hear it from the beginning. But Scott, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, hope deferred and exactly what does that mean and how do we understand that? Yeah, that's a bit of an unusual phrase. It comes from Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the way that I would put it is that very often in life, I mean, we can't help, this is just the way God made us as hoping people. We set our hope on something, uh, something in this life. We're hoping for a certain turn in our job. We're hoping for a certain family situation we're hoping for some prayer that we have repeated to God throughout the years to finally come to pass. Mm -hmm. And hope deferred means that yet again, it gets pushed off into the future to an indeterminate place where we don't know when, if ever, it's going to be fulfilled. And like we're talking about here, some of the most painful times of hope deferred are when it seems like it is finally coming to pass. And then up again, that hope gets pushed off. How do we stay encouraged when our hopes are deferred again. I think that gets at the heart of this psalm and okay. where Asaph goes. And the answer is not going to shock probably a lot of people, but the way that Asaph puts it, for some reason years ago, it just struck me and stuck with me. It is the kind of simplicity that, uh, <laughs> it, it's so simple that, 
in the right frame of mind, it can nevertheless change everything. In the right heart, if God grants it, these simple words can reorient everything about where you are, even in that place of hope deferred. So we mentioned earlier the great passage where he says, you know, whom have I in heaven but you? And that's really the climax of the psalm. But before that, he expresses how God brought him from this place of beastly bitterness into faith again, back into a bright world rather than a dark world. And what he says is simply this. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand, and afterward you will receive me to glory. And those are so precious and have a way of casting a different hue over the same circumstances that before made us feel so disillusioned and so bitter. And I think commentators are right to see a kind of progression here from you hold my right hand, namely, wherever you are right now, the God of the universe is with you, upholding you. You guide me with your counsel. Wherever you're going to go from here until the day you die, God is not only the presence with you, but the path along which you walk. He guides you. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. What comes after this life, even if the hope continues to be deferred and deferred and deferred until you die, there is an afterward where everything dark becomes bright. And there is a glory that will take away all of the uh, open loops of this life and unanswered questions and will leave us before the face of God. So that's where Asaph goes. And in a striking way, he doesn't offer, he doesn't receive a really clear answer to the perplexing situation he found himself in. He finds, finds something that can help take the edge off. But what really cures the bitterness is simply waking up to the presence of who God is for him right now. Mm. Scott, that is so encouraging. And there's no extra charge for that, is there? <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. No. Let, let's talk about uh, Psalm 73:22. says, I was like a beast towards you. Explain that uh, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. It taps into a biblical theme that you can trace in several different parts of the Bible where God created us in this spot between animals and angels. <laughs> And through the gospel, those who have been made a little lower than the angels come to a spot even above the angels in blessing. And yet in our sin, one of the images that God gives us in scripture is that we become animal-like. Mm. We become lower than the station in which God created us. We become like a beast. And Asaph, that's how he describes himself as he looks back at his own bitterness, at the ways that he was... Um, judging God's providence and judging God's ways and casting uh, his own evaluation of them as if he was um, able to see all things clearly, he says that was beastly. That was not like an image bearer of God who lives in communion with the living God and who trusts him like a child trusts his father. So that was more like, I was more like an animal. And I, for one, can look back at times in my own life and say, yes, that's what I was like. In my bitterness, I was like a beast towards you. And I think that is the reality when we are leaning on our own understanding rather than trusting in the Lord with all our heart and delighting and trusting in who he is for us, even when we don't understand all of his ways, what we're doing is acting more like an animal than a human. And that's stark. 
but I think that it's uh, it can be one of the first ways out to realize, okay, then what would it be to live like a child again in my father's home and not like a beast outside in the lawn? And it can wake us up to what God says about who he is for us right now. Mm, beautiful. So, Scott, let's say there's a, a listener that gets to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you, and the listener says, Boy, Scott, um, I have to say I've been praying for something uh, for 20 years, and it really has not worked out at all like I have prayed and hoped for, and I, I feel kind of bitter, if you want my honest opinion, yeah. towards God, and I don't know how to get out of this funk. What would you say to me Yeah, or to this listener? Well, I would really try to take a slow walk through each of these three elements that we talked about, namely that God holds your right hand, that he guides you with his counsel, and that there is a coming afterward that will be glorious beyond your expectations. And then depending on the person, I may also just give a a small little um, perhaps challenge. And I'll quote here from, from Lewis. At the end of the article, I have a quote here for uh, Lewis saying that God cannot be used as a road. And if you're approaching him, not as the goal, but as a road, not as the end, but as a means, you're not really approaching him at all. And again, that's going to depend on the person Not everybody needs to hear that. But often I need to hear that in my own bitterness, that part of what happens in bitterness is that we think we begin to treat God as a road towards something else mm. and not as the very goal to which all of life is leading us. Boy, and if you can move your mindset and your heart to speak that truth to yourself, you have, you have come to a brand new discovery. You have. Yeah. Yeah, because God is, uh, despite our circumstances changing all the time, God is unchanging in Christ, mm-hmm. in Jesus. He is always with us, always holding our right hand, always guiding us, always holding out the promise of glory. And so if he is our, both our goal and our road, both our presence and our portion now and forever, then things will, things will gnaw at us. There's no getting away from that. Mm-hmm. Things will hurt and we're going to cry until he wipes away every tear. But the sharpest edge of suffering is taken away if we know that God himself is with us. So much in here, Scott Hubbard. I am always delighted when you can uh, spend time here with me in the studio because I I learn so much and I feel encouraged. I get excited to go back and study Psalm 73 again. You do a lot of good things. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you to be here with you. Thank you so much. Scott Hubbard has been my guest. He is an editor at DesiringGod.org. You can head right there and check out his article. It's called The Beast I Become, How to Bring Bitterness to God. Or maybe you know someone that would like to hear this podcast. You can send it on to them. Maybe someone you know who's suffering with bitterness. This would be a a, a balm. Thanks for uh, being here, Scott, and we'll uh, take a short break, and we'll be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? 
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. So what happens when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you had hoped? I tell you, that is going to be one of those things that you'll wonder about the rest of your life and because God always does his will and he uh, sometimes uh, does not answer your prayers the way you would like. And that is a reality that uh, my guest Tom Berkowitz is going to talk about today because that's something he has been going through recently. But boy, did God open his eyes to other things. We're anxious to hear about it. Tom was a teaching leader at Edina Community Bible Study for over 20 years and he is uh, retired as of this year, but he's got lots to do and God's got <laughs> Lots of uh, things ahead for him. So, Tom, welcome back to the show. Nice well, to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, actually, I haven't retired. He no, just I know you called haven't. me out yeah, to do right. something else. Yeah, which is exciting. Right. Yeah. I retire on my last breath. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we'd like, it can be very troubling and disturbing. But you just went through this whole experience where He didn't answer hardly any of your prayers in the way you liked. No. He didn't. And let me just tell you briefly what the story was. I'm cruising along, and I'm finishing up my last year at community Bible study. I'm handing it off to a whole new team coming in, and I'm getting excited for what God has us to do. We're doing some work with community Bible study in Israel. We were going to do some things in the Messianic community here, trying to build it up. Marsha and I have a Messianic community our fellowship every month at our house tonight we're having that and i'm really getting jazzed for doing this Mm -hmm. and i know god has called us out things are all looking that way and then the third week of february as i'm putting on a shirt i feel a pop go in my knee and it's the knee that i had replaced in 2009 and then i broke In 2013, I have a titanium rod, and I said, what breaks? Okay, hang on just a second, Tom. Shouldn't you have heard a pop in your shoulder if you were putting on a shirt? Yeah, but I (laughs) I don't know how to put on a shirt and you get a pop in the knee. Well, because I can't stand still. I was fidgeting. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now that makes more sense. I thought you knew me. Yeah, you're you're very fidgety. So I didn't know what that meant, but everywhere, every step I took, there was a click. So I went into my physical therapist, who's a close personal friend, and he said, you know, this is not good. I think you might have broken the peg. I said, what peg? Well, they put a plastic peg in there to hold your tibia to your kneecap and your femur to your kneecap, and I think you broke one of them. So this is the result of a previous surgery? Right, two of them. So I said, well, it doesn't hurt. Well... All of a sudden, the pain came a few days later, and then it started locking. It's not something you could ignore. So I had to have new surgery. But I was convinced that God was going to heal me. Mm-hmm. I had healing prayer for my knee, and even was so bold that God could turn the metal I had in my knee into bone, and I'd be healed. And I mm-hmm. really felt, and I was walking in that faith, despite the fact that it was hurting more, and also that he'd take away the pain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is nothing for God. It's a chip shot. Right. I mean, he took a dead womb of a woman, 90-year-old woman, made it come alive and birthed a nation. What's a piece of metal in, in my knee? Right. Yeah. And it didn't quite work out that way. I needed the surgery done early March. 
so I could go to this big event we had with our friend Marty and Jenny Getz. You've had him on. Marty Getz, amazing. He, yeah. he turned 70. He had this big event. I wanted to be there to honor him, plus it was a major networking. And so I prayed earnestly for the surgery to be by March 14th. Well, that didn't happen. It was April 5th, and then Marsha and I found out on April 20th and two weeks after or three weeks after that I couldn't go to this event because it was too high risk. If I flew there of blood clots, if I drove there, I'd have to stop every hour on the hour. to. So it was a mess. So I'm mm-hmm. bummed. I'm deeply bummed. Plus, I feel I'm letting down my friend Marty. Marsha's still going to go. And so I'm sitting there icing my knee in pain, crying out to God. I said, where are you? This is crazy. Everything I asked for, you answered in the opposite. What are you telling me? Mm-hmm. And I have faith that you can heal. That's what you say you can do. So so go ahead. Yeah, just for review, right now you've had this uh, snap in your knee. Obviously, you, you're going to need repair. The uh, early surgery that w- you were hoping to schedule was postponed, which meant you didn't have surgery till later, which meant the answer to the prayer to be at Marty's event has now gone away. Yes. And so there's all I, kinds of things just yeah. working against Tom Berkowitz right now. And I had the, the surgery on April 5th. Yeah. And I didn't understand how complicated it was. And the pain was more than I bargained for. Okay. Double what I bargained for. Yeah. So you weren't getting relief from pain. You weren't getting the surgery in time. And you weren't going to this significant event. Right. Yeah. And I prayed for less metal in my knee. Yeah. And I have more. <laughs> <laughs> so the surgery produced more metal in your knee and you were right. praying for less. Right. So on the Wednesday before Marsha was leaving, I... I open up my first devotion of the day, and it was on Romans 5, 3 to 5. And I'm reading this, and, uh, you know, we're suffering. Through our suffering, we learn perseverance. Through perseverance, we get character. And I said, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fifteen minutes later, I get a verse every day. And the verse that pops up, you know, random verses, it's, it's Romans 5, 1 to 2. And then 15 minutes after that, I don't know the significance of 15, Marty calls me. Mm -hmm. And he says, I hear you're not doing good. I thought you were doing real good the last time we talked. I said, yes, I was walking in faith. I was holding fast that all these things are going to happen. And the opposite happened. I have more metal in my knee than before. I have more pain than I can count on. I can't come to your event. I feel like I'm letting you down. Everything I prayed for, the opposite has happened. And he said, I see it now, Tom. (laughs) Tom Berkowitz, Messianic Jew. You're going to write a book, The God Who Answers in the Opposite. (laughs) And then he started laughing. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I was seriously kvetching on him. And, of course, I quoted one of his songs. How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So he's laughing. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon I start laughing. And he asked me, so what do you think you're hearing from God? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm so wrapped up in my pain. I'm not listening very good. But I got this 
devotion today on Romans 5, uh, 3 to 5. And then 15 minutes later, I got the verse of the day from Romans 5, 1 to 2. And he said, I think that's what God is trying to tell you. You always say we don't live in the circumstances. We've got to live beyond it. You're not under those circumstances. The truth of your condition, the circumstances aren't defining you. You're in the circumstances, but what defines you is that you have been justified by faith, so you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom you also have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand and we celebrate in the hope of the glory. That's what you're under. Mm. So you're in the circumstances, but they don't define you. What defines you is this. And from there, we went on and we started talking. What does that really mean? And how does, how do I know? And how can I feel that God is there? Because he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He hears all our prayers. Our friend Glenn Pickering says, he answers our prayers, all of them, maybe not the way we want, and I tend not to make excuses for God if they don't come out the way I am. I figured, well, there's something wrong with me, not with God. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite that arrogant. But through that whole suffering, I realize my faith is anchored in a promise-keeping God. And the father of our faith is Abraham. Yes, I have my salvation through Jesus by his blood By his death, his resurrection, his ascension. But Jesus called Abraham his father. Our faith is anchored in in the faithfulness of God that he showed to Abram. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at that. Think about it. Abraham was 75 years old. God says, leave your family, leave your country, take your wife and come to this this land. And I'm going to bless you. Like you can't even imagine. I'm going to give you children and make you into a great nation. In fact, you're going to bless all the nations of the world. Abraham's 75 and Sarah's 65. Seems like a tough sell. Yeah, it's a tough sell. But he believed. Ten years later, that promise is nowhere to be seen. And now he's 85 and Sarah's 75. Becomes a long shot. Mm -hmm. But again, God said... Trust me, it's going to happen. And Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I'm thinking, that's what I have to look at, not the temporary setbacks I'm having. I have to go back and look at what God is really doing, because he goes on in Romans 5, 3, not only this. So I'm before God's grace. That's who I am. I've obtained that by his grace through faith. And not only this, but we celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. So I had my eyes on the wrong thing because I was disappointed. But as I thought more about Abraham, so now he's 85 and he doesn't understand completely what God says, but I believe and I have faith. 
So now he solves the problem with having Ishmael from a different wife. God says, no, that's not who it's going to be. So another, so he goes from 85, another uh, 15 years until he's 100, and Sarah's 90, and he says, now you're going to have the child. And that's against all odds. That's <laughs> absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. But Paul writes about that in Romans 4 just before this chapter. And that's why we have that therefore. Paul said Sarah's womb was dead. And from that dead womb, he brought life. So our God is a God who brings life from death. and goes all the way back to Genesis 3, where our forefathers, Adam and Eve, sinned. And because of their sin, death came. But from that time forward, God is bringing forth life. He had a plan to give us life. So that's what I've been focusing on. And the reality of the matter is, as I look back now, you know, my knee is better than it was before I got hurt. The pain's still there, and it'll be there for another month. But the I can now, my flexion in my knee is significantly better than before the device broke. My faith has been revived. I see that through persevering and and waiting on God, that I can now see what we're doing is going to work. Marsha went there, and I told her, network. Well, she talks with people, but is that networking? Well, she, the first person in the door that she met that night was somebody we had breakfast with, and we're looking at doing some work with them now. And somebody we hadn't seen for years. So, I mean, things are working out. It just didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but God has taught me that through perseverance— and through not looking at my circumstances, seeing beyond it, what he's doing, that's where my victory is because I'm defined not by my circumstances, but by the Word of God. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a ton of sense. And I, I've got a bunch of questions for you, but I, we are going to take a quick break. Is God answering your prayers the way uh, you would like? Um, he's going to always do his will. But we're talking to Tom Berkowitz, and when we come back, I've got some questions for him. Quite a story. Tom Berkowitz, and I love stories where we ask God for specific answers to specific prayers in a specific timeline, and then he doesn't quite show up exactly what, in the way and what we think he, he, he would. And so all of a sudden we're confronted with what is God trying to teach me in the midst of this. And Tom, your story is uh, com- not only compelling, but it's a great reminder to all of us that we put our faith and trust in God. And I think you said in the first half that uh, we're in the middle of our circumstances, but they don't define us. 
We're in our circumstances. In our circumstances. But our circumstances don't define who we are. I like that. And what about when we go to God in prayer? Were you going to him looking through a wide-angle lens, or were you looking through a very narrow lens saying, this is prayer one I need answered, and this is prayer two I need answered, and he was not answering them the way you had hoped? That's a great question. I tend to be a belt and suspenders guy, so I was using the rifle to hit the bullseye, (laughs) and they're very straightforward yeah. and specific. Yeah. And when I saw that they weren't getting answered, I took a shotgun so I could make sure I could scatter that mm-hmm. whole target. And he still didn't answer. Yeah. And it took uh, somebody to come in and kind of give me, shake me a little bit. I've been walking with the Lord for 43 years. I know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. The Word of God all over talks about God's faithfulness. You know, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I'm thinking, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. God says he'll never leave us or forsake us. And I know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, because that's what he says. Either that or he's a liar, and I know he's not a liar. Too many things have happened. A, a good friend of ours, Michael Wise, he's a professor here, defines Romans 11.1 1 this way. Faith is seeing the reality the way God does, and acting accordingly. So I wasn't seeing the reality as God did. does. I was seeing the reality through my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And because I was seeing that through my own eyes, I had a faulty lens. But, Tom, is it? it's not wrong to say, boy, I would love this knee to heal. I would love to go to my friend's 70th uh, party in Nashville and meet a lot of other people as you step forward in a new uh, of season of life in your faith journey with ministry opportunities. So that was a, a important event to be at. And all of a sudden you're, you're not getting yeses to any of these. And is it wrong to pray that way? And my answer is no, it's not right. No, not at all. No. And in fact, if I could get my Bible program to work, it won't work. But anyway, um, in Hebrews uh, 11, it talks about, Abraham. I can quote it for you if you just let me know where it is. I have it now. Okay, good. Um, So Abraham's, he's, we're on Genesis 22, and God says, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a burnt offering. So now, Abraham, according to Jewish tradition at that time, is 125 years old because Isaac is about 25 years old. He could be as old as 30 years old. So he waited all this time for this son of promise, and now he's to sacrifice him. So, of course, the rabbis speculate, what is he thinking about the three days it takes him to get to Mount Moriah where God tells him to offer him? And what what they're saying is, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, the one in, who had received the promises, was, was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. And what he's saying is, is 
God, for all these years I've walked with you, from the time I was 75 years old to now I'm 125, you have been faithful to every one of your promises. So I don't understand what's happening, but I'm going to put my faith in you and I'm going to trust you and do what I, you say because you're not limited. You can bring them back from the dead. And that's the God who we serve. From death, he brings life. In a sense, that's what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. When I wasn't getting my answer to prayer, I felt like death in a way, figuratively speaking. But he brought me back to life where my faith was refreshed. Mm -hmm. And from here, I've gone to a couple other things that have really revived my life, and I'm trying to now to share that with as many people as I could, because the truth is, from death, God brings life, and he's done that throughout the history, and if that's, if we believe that, and we see all the promises he's done, and the way he's, he's kept it, no matter what circumstances we are in, they don't define us, and they don't define God, because he's above it, and he'll give us what he thinks is best for us, mm-hmm. rather than what I think. Yeah, well, Does that make sense? It does, and you're doing a great job of telling your story, especially because I have 20 or 60 million listeners a day, so you know, really? you're, you're getting a lot of, uh, yeah, well, something like that. <laughs> but David just uh, texted in, Tom, and he said, even though God cho- chooses not to heal us sometimes, I still have total faith that he can. Absolutely. Yeah. But what I've always fought my 43 years is walking, and I absolutely believe he still can. But I don't make excuses for God because he didn't. Right. I try to understand what he's doing, and I don't look at blaming him. I look more at am I looking at these as am I focused on the circumstances or am I looking beyond the circumstances to see what God is it's doing? So good. What is he doing? In Hebrew, it would be akarit. That's what lies behind or the end of the matter. Mm-hmm. And our vocabulary today is from uh, Paul Harvey. What's the rest of the story? Mm-hmm. And that's what I need to look at. And I talked about it, but now I got to experience it, if that makes sense. It does. So, Tom, I know there's people listening right now that are thinking, I have got very specific prayers that I want answered in a very specific way. And if they don't turn out the way I am praying, I could be in big trouble. Would you uh, counsel or comfort some of those listeners? I mean, those who have just listened to your story got comfort from it. So, Right. I don't always know what the outcome is. Marsha and I are still in prayer for things that we are receiving by faith. We don't know how it's going to work out. And it may not work out the way we want it because we're looking at it through mm-hmm. not clear lenses. Mm-hmm. But it's going to work out. And the God we love will always be there. I started off from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I mean, think about that bold prayer from David. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, where are you? Yeah. But here's how he ends the prayer. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
So through all these trials and through all these what I thought were not answered prayers, I got something richer than maybe if he would have answered the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. Great reminder, Tom, that uh, if you're thinking today, I've petitioned the Lord, but I I need to trust. And that's the great reminder of today, I think, trust. Trust. Yep. And we don't base that trust trust in the air. We base it on on the holy scriptures. Remember what Jesus said to the guys at uh, two guys on the road to Emmaus. He taught them, and everything he taught them from about him was from the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. So we have it all laid out there. Jesus didn't have the New Testament. He had his Bible, which were the, what we call the Old Testament. And that's where it is. So we got to look through that and study that to see that God is a promise-keeping God. Indeed he is. Tom Berkowitz has been my guest. Tom, great to see you. Marcia, thanks for being here. And we're going to take a little break. And we come back, Vince Miller is going to join us. We're going to talk about Job. That's all coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.